0: Well, I tend to give books to people whether they're readers or not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 161. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader What Should I Read Next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, in episode 159, Shantae and I talked about book hangovers. You listeners had some great suggestions for how to beat them. Casey wrote and said... I had a hangover after I binged the Harry Potter series. My cure was some nonfiction and wandering aimlessly in the forest for a few days. And Pat suggested a little hair of the dog to cure her book hangover. Don't forget to look into the biographies of some of these authors. It's interesting to see where they got their ideas from and how the circumstances of their surroundings influence their work. These suggestions were left in the comment section at What Should I Read whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com. If you ever have advice or another book recommendation for a guest, that's the place to go to connect. The link is in the show notes every single week. Your fellow listeners love hearing from you and so do I. Want a confidence boost? Take coloring your hair at home to the next level with Madison Reed. Get gorgeous professional hair color delivered to your door starting at $22. This is game-changing color you can do at home, and look as if you just came from the salon without the time or expense. At Madison Reed, master colorists blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones to create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. What Should I Read Next listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with the code READ. Use the code READ, R-E-A-D, at Madison-READ, R-E-E-D, dot com. Literary podcast nerds rejoice. Ann Kingman of Books on the Nightstand fame is behind the mic once more. We asked you readers to call and write in about the people you want to give the gift of a good read to this year. And wow, did you deliver. Get your wrapping paper ready because Anne and I are tackling some of them today. We had so much fun dishing out rapid fire recommendations for young and old readers with highly varied literary interests. You'll also get to hear what ann has been up to since Books on the Nightstand shut its doors, why I'm desperate to follow her around when she does her day job, and both of our favorite bookish but not book gifts for the holiday or any other season. Let's get to it. Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight. Thank you so much for letting me lure you back into podcasting. Well,
0: I have to say the first time I heard, heard your show, I was like, oh, I really want to be on that So
1: thank you. This is actually a real thrill for me. You should have told me that then. And (laughs) I would have had you on the next week. How long has it been now since Books on the Nightstand had its last episode? May it rest in peace.
0: I think it's been almost two years. No? One
1: year? I remember it was cold outside. And I was (laughs) listening to your final episode
0: in the car. Because it was just before I went on sabbatical, I believe. So yes, 2016. It feels like a lifetime ago, honestly. It's a little strange to be back behind the mic.
1: Books on the Nightstand is a show that did mean a lot of things to so many readers. How
0: does that feel for you now, looking back? Oh, I, I'm really proud of it. I mean, it meant a lot to to Michael and I, too, when we did it. Michael would have loved to be here, but he just has a schedule that's a little crazy, and he couldn't. But he does send his wishes. I tell you, the thing that I, I love the most about Books on the Nightstand is... I'm still in touch with a lot of listeners. And you know, some of it's just on social media where I see them. We don't necessarily talk, but I see them. And what I really love is when they interact with other listeners. There were a lot of friendships made, a lot of people connected. And I think the thing I'm most proud of is that it seemed that there were a lot of people who suddenly realized that there were people just like them out there who love to read and love to talk about books. And these were people who didn't really ever have that in their real life, and they were able to find that. So... That is the thing I'm the proudest of.
1: Yes, that's something we hear a lot too, and I'm glad to hear that it goes way back. I think because reading is something you often do at home, by yourself, you don't realize that you're not the only one. But then you find out there's this community of podcast listeners just as passionate as you are. I've also heard from our listeners that since they listen to a book podcast, they talk about the podcast they listen to and the books they're reading in their real life and found out that they actually weren't the only one. They just had never brought it up in conversation before.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting how uh the internet has really socialized reading and and writing too. I mean, I think from authors who are, you know, used to toiling in the silence and and in, you know, in their own spaces and then suddenly forced out in the world to be on podcasts and things. It's very different. <laughs> so you have to um, do
1: good work and give good people. Yeah. It's it's much more of a challenge than just,
0: you know, writing a great book.
1: Now, your podcasting days are More or less behind you, but your book recommending days are not. And as I was looking over our listener submissions, because today you and I are going to recommend books based on listener requests, especially if they're asking for help giving a literary gift this season, all I could think was, you still recommend books for a living. Do you not? I just really would love to follow you around in your day job and watch you work.
0: I'm I'm not sure it would be that exciting. Maybe, maybe for like half an hour, but. (laughs) I do have a day job. Uh, I work for Penguin Random House, which is a major publisher here in the U.S. and and actually internationally. Um, And I work with independent bookstores in New England. And I describe my job as I talk about books all day to people who love to talk about books. (laughs) Um, It's not always that much fun, but most of the time it is. And I spend my days really working with independent bookstores to help them determine which books that we publish they're going to want to carry in their stores and which books they're going to want to recommend to their customers. So I spend a lot of time talking with the people who decide which books they're going to buy for the bookstore, and I spend a lot of time talking to booksellers who work on the floor about books that are coming out and books that I love and books that I think they'll love. And It is sort of like real-life book podcasting in a way. Which
1: helps me understand how, yes, it's fun to talk about books, but also it can be hard work to talk about books, even
0: books you love. It can. I mean, I think the thing that's such a challenge about my job is I I can't only talk about the books that I love um, (laughs) because a book that I love is not necessarily a book that you're going to love. So my job in that capacity is really to find out what books you want to love that I think you'll love based on what you've already read. And that's a lot what you do. So I think in a way, first of all, you'd be a natural at my job, (laughs) 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 but it is, it is a little more than just saying, I love this book and you should read it because as we know, not everybody is going to love every book at every time either. No. And something that sounds so interesting to me about your job
1: and specifically why I'd like to follow you around is I'd be so curious to hear what you're listening for in each store that causes you to recommend some titles in one place that wouldn't be so far up the list in another?
0: Yeah, you know, I I don't know that that's anything I can really quantify. It's, for me, well, I've done this, been doing this for years and years and years. And so part of it is just intuition. Like when I walk into a new bookstore or a bookstore that I haven't been into before, I can pretty much tell within the first 15 minutes who their customers are and what their customers like.
1: Is this from looking around, or is it based on what they say? What I have in mind is, I was on book tour this fall, and I went to like twenty stores in the span of six weeks, and it's very hard for me to put into words. But each bookstore has its own distinct personality.
0: Yes, very much so, and most of it is from looking around. I mean, it, it can get clarified by talking to the bookstore, you know, staff and the owners. Um, and part of it is kind of also knowing the neighborhoods or the cities or the towns. Um, but there's a feeling when you walk into the store, when I walk into the store, based on what books are piled up in the front of the store on table displays, what books are in staff picks, that's huge. That's my favorite section of every bookstore. And if you're a bookstore that doesn't have a staff picks section, um, please put one in. <laughs> is that um, possible? There I don't know that some. I've been to such a place. <laughs> there are. Horrors. Yeah. But I mean, it's all of that kind of, I don't know, it can, it can come together in in a very few minutes and, and I'm able to get a pretty good read of what the customers want to buy. And in some cases, it's economics too. There are some stores who sell a lot of brand new hardcovers, you know, right out of the gate. As soon as they come out, their readers, mm-hmm. their customers want to know what's new And there are other stores where it's maybe not as affluent of an area, and their customers buy mostly paperbacks, but they still want to know like the new paperbacks and and what's coming out. And so while I think it's very much the same titles, it's a different kind of lifespan in the publication history. And so just kind of knowing that, if I go into a store where their customers really want great paperbacks and I'm trying to sell them hardcovers, it's just not going to work.
1: Are there a few titles you find yourself recommending over and over for the season to come? Yes.
0: Are they going to come up? They are. There's one that I didn't really manage to fit into to the recommendations um, that I will just tell you about because it just came out. And I'm not sure it's a great gift for a lot of people. It's a great gift if you have a friend who wants a really quirky, interesting new voice, but it it doesn't lend itself to, you know, it's not a super gifty looking book or titling book. So the name of this book is My Sister, the Serial Killer. And the author is Oyinkan Braithwaite. And I'm sorry if I totally destroyed her first name. (laughs) Um, And she is a Nigerian writer. I don't know what it is, but the minute I started reading it, I absolutely fell in love with this book. And part of what drew me in was the title, My Sister, the Serial Killer. But it is not really a serial killer novel. It is a pretty straightforward work of fiction that looks at families and the dynamics particularly involving these two sisters. And one of the sisters who's young and beautiful, she's the younger sister, she just happens to get out of bad relationships by killing her Mm (laughs) boyfriends. And of course, the older sister, who is the responsible one who has a full-time job, um, she's not as beautiful as the younger sister. The older sister always gets the call to come help clean up the body. All of the kind of gore takes place off the page. Um, it, it's, it's not a particularly gory book, but it's really about the dynamics of these two sisters. The older sister, the responsible one, is a nurse in a hospital, and she has a mad crush on a doctor who works there. And then one day this doctor asks her for her younger sister's number because her younger sister's beautiful. And so now she has to think, okay, this is a man I love and... He's interested in my younger sister, who happens to kill the men who love her. <laughs> uh huh. It is so interesting, fast moving. It's not. It's not a long book. I think I read it in an afternoon, and just really original. And I loved everything about it. The number one Indie Next pick. I don't know if you're familiar with Indie Next. Um, that is a program that the independent bookstores in the United States have, where all booksellers around the country nominate their favorite titles to um be put on a list and the winners there there's usually a, a handout like a newsletter that's in the store and it gets a lot of attention and so um my sister the serial killer is the number 1 indie next pick for December and so I'm really excited about that too because that means that it's just going to have a lot more people reading it and talking about it but there's already a lot of bookseller love for this too so it should be pretty prominent in most independent bookstores out there
1: oh I'll keep an eye out for it <laughs> I'm not usually drawn to serial killer books,
0: but that sounds really interesting. I will tell you I am drawn to serial killer books, but this really isn't a serial killer book in that way. Um, I think it's for people who like literary fiction with a little bit of an edge and a little bit of a twist. This was one of my challenges selling this book like trying to convince my bookstores you know why they needed this and and really the main selling point on this book for me was I really love this book and I'm going to make your booksellers read it and they're going <laughs> to love it and and that's exactly what happened. It's very much a word of mouth book. It's a it's a book that you read and then you you just know like your perfect friend who has to read this too. It feels a little bit like a discovery. I don't know. It's just really special. Every once in a while, these these books come along that are like this. And um, it's just a book people are passionate about, including me.
1: And I'm really glad you worked that in. Okay. Are you ready to do some recommendations for our listeners? We have a really interesting pile of submissions. And if you sent one in and we couldn't answer it, we really wanted to answer them all. But we didn't think you wanted a 14-hour podcast. So <laughs> are you ready to get to it, Ann? I am ready. I can't wait. All right. Here's number one from Maggie.
2: My name is Maggie Bowling, and I live in Oneida, Kentucky, and my Aunt Laura has been instrumental in my reading life. She always recommended books for me, let me borrow books, and always talks to me about books. One of the ways we stay in touch is talking about books. One of the books that my Aunt Laura loves is Unbroken by Laura Helen Brand, and she does not usually recommend this book. She hasn't recommended it to me because it's such a difficult book, but she says it has a huge impact and ultimately shows the spirit of man. She also loves Water for Elephants by Sarah Gruen because It was so different from anything she'd ever read. And she loved hearing about the circus and how people lived and set up and traveled in the circus. The third book my Aunt Laura loves is The Time Traveler's Wife by Audrey Niffinger. She loved the relationship between the characters. One book my Aunt Laura hated, and she hated it. Is Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn because she did not feel connected or any sympathy for any of the characters. She felt it was a waste of time for her to read it. And for her to really like a book, there has to be at least one character that she can relate to or find sympathy for. And she did not find it in Gone Girl.
1: How does that strike you, Anne? What do you think Aunt Laura may enjoy?
0: So the book that jumped out at me is also one of my favorites of the year, and it's called Washington Black. By Essie Edugian. I think half my life is spent apologizing to authors for butchering their names. In any event, this is an amazing novel. I describe it as a little bit of Dickens' Great Expectations with a little bit of Colson Whitehead's Underground Railroad. Ultimately, it's an amazing adventure novel involving. A young man who is a slave in Barbados when he meets the slave owner's brother who kind of takes him under his wing. And they have all of these adventures by way of this kind of hot air balloon contraption that the plantation owner's brother has built. So this is about the 1830s, 1840s. Um, think the whole age of exploration, Victorian England, you know, everybody was really interested in science and invention. And in Barbados, there was this slave plantation and, and Washington Black was a, an orphan there. And he was in the right place at the right time, really bonded with Titch, who was the plantation owner's brother. And they have this amazing relationship. And it is a, feel-good book, I guess you could say, but it's one that has some serious history, some serious elements, kind of a part of the slave history that I never knew about. But also, I mean, they go to Antarctica. They they travel all over the world, both together and separately. And there's just so much here. It's not a particularly long book. It's probably about 350 pages, but it feels when you're done, like you've read this whole epic and I think that, to me, is similar to some of the books that Maggie mentioned her her Aunt Laura liked, which was Water for Elephants and Time Traveler's Wife. I mean, it has a lot of those kinds of elements as well. That sounds really interesting. And I think it's also
1: interesting that you went to that time period, because the book I was thinking of was a Civil War era story. It's called Daughter of a Daughter of a Queen. It's by Sarah Bird, and it was enthusiastically recommended to me by Valerie Kohler at Blue Willow in Houston. So, she knows what readers love, mm-hmm. and I think Aunt Laura's books mean that this sounds like a good one for her. So, this is based on the true story of a female slave uh, named Kathy Williams, although her mother insisted that she was not a slave because her grandmother in Africa was a queen. So, Kathy is the one who is a daughter of a daughter of a queen. Too much stuff happens in this book for it to be a feel-good story like you were saying, but Kathy has so much fire in her that you're cheering her on and it has high energy and there's, there's so much to love about her in this story, even though the adventures she goes through are often brutal. Although because of Kathy's ingenuity, well, the reader will enjoy finding how they go for her. And it's a lot of fun. It just came
0: out in September. So I hope
1: the odds are good that Aunt Laura hasn't read it yet.
0: They sound remarkably, not similar, but like they'd be great companions for each other. They would be.
1: Isn't that funny? Because Aunt Laura didn't choose a book set before World War II. No. (laughs) Okay. Well, you can, you know, pivot slightly. Stay in your lane and branch out a little bit. All right. This one is from Nikki. Oh, Nikki. I'm sure many readers hear you on this. (laughs) My father is the absolute worst person to buy gifts for. He has everything he wants, never needs anything. Anything you get him is okay. And so I always resort to buying him the latest David Baldacci or doorstop biography of a leading man in history, like Cherno's Grant and Hamilton, a thousand-page book about Napoleon, etc. He seems to love both, but I'm trying to branch out and get him to read more nonfiction about influential women in history, not just the men. So I would love any nonfiction recommendations for nonfiction that are female-strong. Also, maybe a new captivating fiction author to have as a backup when Baldacci doesn't have a recent release." As mentioned, he's enjoyed all of the recent biographies he's read, and he tends to read less fiction. I got him to read a gentleman in Moscow,
0: and he did really enjoy it. What do you think, Anne?: Oh, do I have the perfect book? I think. It's not particularly new. It came out in 2012, so hopefully Nikki's dad has not read this though. Um, it is called "Hetty's Folly: The Life and Breakthrough Inventions of Hetty Lamar: The Most Beautiful Woman in the World." So a lot of people know Hetty Lamar from her work as an actress. But in fact, Hetty Lamar and her husband were scientists and inventors, and they invented some technology, radio technology that actually made us be able to have things like wireless phones and GPS systems and other inventions like that. So Richard Rhodes is the author of this book. He is an amazing writer. He won the Pulitzer Prize for the making of the atomic bomb. And he writes this biography of of Hetty's folly that's really focused on the side of her that people don't really know about. And it goes from Vienna to London to Hollywood. And you get a whole picture of her glamorous life, but you also get this whole side of her that was eye opening to me. So it sounds like it might be something that dad might be interested in. I had no idea about Hetty Lamar.
1: That is really interesting. Okay. I apparently am stuck in the Civil War section of the bookstore because <laughs> I was thinking about Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy. It's about four women who become spies in the Civil War. And it does focus on four actual real women who were called upon to serve their country in this way. Although when I say their country, some served for the North and some served for the South and they did so in very unique ways. So it doesn't dive down deep on one individual like some of his favorites do, but you do get to see women in action in ways that really haven't been written about extensively in that period of time. Also, I have to say Woody Holton's biography of Abigail Adams is top-notch. The next one is from Joey. I'm interested in Christmas gift ideas for my oldest daughter. She's just eight years old, but all of a sudden she's all about reading and I love it. She's especially into graphic novels right now. Her favorites are the Baby Mouse series, books by the author Raina Telgemeier, and the Narwhal series. She also loves the Who Was nonfiction series. Would love to hear if you all have any suggestions. What springs to mind for those, Anne?
0: I am somewhat of a newcomer to graphic novels. I mean, I, I've read some and I love the form, but I don't read them often. But this one, my colleague, Michael Kindness, recommended to me. And even though it was middle grade, I loved it. And it's for ages eight to 12. And I think it has a, a wide audience. Uh, it's called El Defo by <gasps> C.C. Bell. Do you know this book? We love that one at my house. This is one of those books, kind of like Wonder by R.J. Palacio. They just should be read by everybody. Like, no matter your age, no matter whether you read graphic novels or not, you should read El Defo, um, which is the story of this young woman who has hearing loss. And she she has to go to school and make new friends. and And all the while, she has this thing that sets her apart from her classmates. And I believe it's based on the author's actual experience as well. And I
1: feel like... There are so many more graphic novels than there used to be, and my kids are younger than yours. We read a lot of these. I don't believe my kids have read the Baby Mouse series, so I'm definitely adding that to my list because they loved another series by Jennifer and Matthew Holm, who wrote the Baby Mouse series. And that is Sunny Side Up. The next book is called Swing It Sunny. I guess series is overstating it. There's just two. But the first one starts with... 10-year-old Sunny. She gets stranded in her grandparents' Florida retirement community instead of going to Disney World like she wanted to. So this book is funny and touching, and it's not it's not saccharine, and it doesn't ignore um, difficult things in life because difficult things happen while she's in the retirement community. But it's heartwarming and ultimately hopeful and satisfying. Several of my kids just loved it. The Squish series is also by Jennifer and Matthew Holm, and it's excellent for readers who are a tiny bit younger. My kids also loved Positively Izzy by Libinson Terry. Uh, She wrote another book called Invisible Emmy, which is also quite good. But it's about girls in middle school. Izzy's a little bit um, less than socially adept. This is just a really warm, relatable story about navigating that tension with uh, grace and compassion for yourself and for others. And it's so good. They're also really pretty books to add to your bookshelf. Okay, the next one is from Anna.
3: Hi, my name is Anna and I'm calling from Helsinki, Finland. I am looking for a recommendation for my fiancé who has read somewhat as a kid. like He loved Tolkien when he was a teenager, but he hasn't really read much since adulthood. And now he prefers to read these really serious business books that take him forever to read. And I don't even know if he enjoys it. He just like has to finish them. And I keep telling them he doesn't. But anyway, the book I saw him actually enjoy was Uh, Ready Player One. He read it really fast and he also went to see it in the movies when it came out. A book that he didn't enjoy lately was Seth Fry's The Great Frustration. I think it's a collection of short stories. He thought, okay, maybe I will read short stories. It'll be faster. But he didn't even finish that book and it was really thin. He likes uh, cycling. And he read a book. I'm afraid I don't uh, know the name because he passed it on to a friend. But it was written in the 70s and it was a memoir of a cyclist. He really enjoyed that because he really likes long distance uh, cycling. And he also has books about wine. I don't know if there's like a nonfiction or fiction around that that you could recommend. Thank you in advance. I love your podcast.
1: And I can picture that book about cycling. I'm sure I know what she's talking about. It's got an orange cover. There's a drawing on the front of a guy on a bike. And I have no idea what it is called and I can't find it. So if any listeners know, please leave it in show notes because it's going to drive me crazy. There are several different directions we could go with
0: Anna's request. What do you think? Uh, She said that mostly he reads serious business books that take him forever to read. And she doesn't know if he enjoys that. And I picked up on that because I have a business book that is a phenomenal read. It reads like a thriller. What? Yes. And it's nonfiction. One of my favorite. I have a lot of favorite books this year, but it's one of my favorite (laughs) books of the year. We like that about you. It's called Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a (gasps) Silicon Valley Startup. Do you know this? You gasped. (laughs) Well, I'm thinking about getting it for my husband for Christmas, actually. Well, there you go. It is such a good read. So it is um, by John Kerry Rue, who's a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. And he broke the story of this company in Silicon Valley called Theranos. And this company was started by a woman, Elizabeth Holmes, who dropped out of Stanford University at the age of 19, because she had invented this piece of technology. So what this technology does is, you know, when you go to get your labs done at the doctor, they draw like three vials of blood and give you all your results. Uh, Well, this piece of equipment that she invented would allow you to put your finger in. It would prick your finger and in two drops of blood be able to give you all of those medical results. And this was going to be life-changing. Investors threw millions and billions of dollars at this company and she herself is this really interesting character. She kind of idolized Steve Jobs and she dressed like... But all was not what it seemed at this company. And there was a lot of really bad stuff going on. And the author, John Carreyou discovered a lot of this and wrote the story that basically took down this company. They only announced that they were totally going out of business a couple weeks ago but now I think we'll start to see criminal and civil litigation and things happening literally this book reads like a thriller like you can't stop turning the pages and there's just so many elements of it that are interesting so you could look at it from a business perspective as a what not to do <laughs> um, or if you're interested in you know the whole startup culture and investing and Silicon Valley and and all of that stuff medical equipment technology it, it It's all in there, but at its heart, it is this incredible true life story of bad people doing bad things and then getting caught.
1: I'm trying to think if I really have anything to add to that, although now now I'm feeling really pleased with myself about my bad blood choice for my husband.
0: Although I think he did tell me about it. He read the description and went, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a great read. Even if you know the story, even if you followed it in the press, it's it's still an amazing book. If Anna wants an
1: actual thriller, fictional thriller for her fiance, I'm wondering about Dark Matter by Blake Crouch, who's done a lot of mm. screenwriting. So this is very cinematic. It's very fast paced. And it's about quantum physics. Kind of. The story opens with a man. He's in a bar in Chicago's Logan Square. When he leaves to go home, he's jumped by himself because this is a story about what happens when science is able to fulfill our desire to explore the alternate routes we could have taken with our life. It's fun and funny, and you have to read. Blake Crouch's acknowledgments about how he uh, worked out the accuracy of the quantum physics information in this book. It's really fun and fast-paced, but it's also surprisingly poignant at times, and it's a good read. Also, for the wine angle, I have to put in a word for cork dork. It's a book mm-hmm. that appeals to a wide <laughs> variety of readers for a wide variety of reasons. It's very educational and also a lot of fun. glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: I, I love books about wine, so...
1: Readers, if you love What Should I Read Next, you're going to love being part of our Patreon community. That's where we share bonus episodes, including follow-ups with previous guests, interesting conversations that were cut for time reasons, and One Great Book Style episodes where I tell you all about recent reads that I adore. In addition to the extra audio, you get access to our super secret spreadsheet vault with the full list of all the books guests love and my three recommendations from every episode in an easy-to-search format. And on occasion, we get together live online for Ask Us Anything-style conversations, and events like our 90-minute fall book preview and summer reading guide unboxing. Join for all these perks and to be part of the community behind What Should I Read Next. Go to patreon.com slash what should I read next. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash what should I read next to become a member today. Patreon.com slash what should I read next. Alright, this one's from Trisha.
4: Hey, this is Trisha McCarthy and I'm calling about a book recommendation for my friend Bella. Bella actually lives in Bhutan and I met her when I was over there visiting the country and she was my tour guide and we immediately hit it off because of our mutual love of books. And it's pretty tough for her to get all the titles she would like in Bhutan. Amazon does not deliver and the local bookstore takes a long time to get books if they can. So I have been sending her books since I got back to the US and we've developed an awesome some friendship based around books. So I would love some recommendations for her. Two of her favorite books are Into Thin Air, also Memoirs of a Geisha. Right now she's reading Sapiens and loves it. One book that she does not love is called In Order to Live by Yeonmin Park. Belle is super interested in all kinds of American culture. She's interested in nonfiction and fiction. I get the feeling she likes historical fiction and she's just super open, awesome woman who is just uh, so interested in the world and showed me an amazing time in Bhutan, which made me fall in love with the country. So I would love to get your recommendations for her all across these miles.
1: Okay, first of all, I'm sorry to say this is not going to do Bella in Bhutan any good, but Book Depository has changed a lot of readers' lives. They do worldwide delivery to more than 100 countries, and I'm sorry that Bhutan is not
0: one of them, but I hope somebody listening will benefit from that. What do you think about the book, Sam? So what I loved was the way that Tricia describes her friend, She said she's a super open and awesome woman who's interested in the world. And that immediately made me think of Ann Tyler's clock dance. Willa Drake is the main character in this novel, and she is an amazing woman and also very open and interested in the world. At the time in her life when we meet her, she is living in Arizona. She's retired, and she's not particularly happy there. But she gets this phone call from basically a stranger saying that there's a young woman in trouble and her daughter is nine years old and needs someone to look after her. And I won't complicate the story about how Willa knows this person who knows this person, but Willa, who is not related to this nine-year-old girl at all and has really no obligation at all, decides to get on a plane, go to Baltimore, and look after this nine-year-old girl. And that just changes Willa's life. It changes everyone's life that Willa meets in this particular neighborhood. It is a charming, heartwarming book, but also with some real substance to it. Anne Tyler is a master of the novel. I, one of the other things that Trisha mentioned is that um, her friend is interested in all kinds of American culture. And I think that you get a lot of that in this book, too. So I just feel it like it ticks all the little boxes that Trisha was looking for. Interesting.
1: I really enjoy Clock Dance and that didn't occur to me here, but I really like your reasons for choosing it. Based on her love of sapiens and a little bit into thin air, I'm not really sure what to do about memoirs of a geisha for one novel that's difficult to uh, leap off from. So I'm Focusing on the two nonfiction picks. But I was thinking about two books that are both sciency, but they take that in different directions. The first is Ed Yong's I Contain Multitudes: The Microbes Within Us and a Grander View of Life, because it sounds like, like what you said, Bella is really open. It sounds like she loves to learn. And there's so much to talk about in this book. I just think it's so touching that Trisha and her friend have developed an awesome friendship based around books which means you need good material to talk about. And I think this could do it. And I'm also wondering about Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything, which is a much more story-driven, it almost reads like a memoir take to an overlapping subject matter. Those have both been out long enough and they're popular enough that I have high hopes they can make it to Baton.
0: Great.
1: Okay. This is from Jessica. Hello. I would love help choosing a book for my husband. We participate in Iceland's of flood, the Christmas book flood. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation where we give each other a book to read Christmas Eve and go to bed and read. He is very particular. He reads nonfiction almost exclusively. Favorites are Eric Larson, Nathaniel Philbrick, Ron Chernow, etc. He's currently reading Hitler, a biography by Ian Kershaw. First of all, I am so jealous that she lives in Iceland and gets to participate firsthand in the Christmas book flood that I cannot stop clicking links about on my computer, even (laughs) though I know that's not going to take me there.
0: I just like to know it's happening. I think we need to figure out a way to start that tradition here. I am on board. (laughs) I support that plan. I don't know how we do it, but we have to just... I don't know. Find a sponsor. Someone needs to throw money at it to make it take <laughs> off. Well, what were we saying
1: about how uh, so many readers have discovered they're not the only one who loves to read? I'm yes. sure we are not the only ones who want our own book flood happening <laughs> in the States. What do you think about this reader's husband who loves his nonfiction?
0: Yes, and the book that jumped out at me immediately is David Grant's Killers of the Flower Moon. Ooh. See, I thought you were gonna say you had the same recommendation. <gasps> no, I don't, but that makes perfect sense to me. It's a great one. <laughs> yeah, so this is um set in the nineteen twenties. It's nonfiction. What I didn't know when I before I read this book, and I think most people didn't know before they read it, was that in the nineteen twenties the some of the richest people in the in the whole world, per capita, uh were members of the Osage tribe in Oklahoma. Oil was discovered on the land that the government had put them on, uh, their reservation, and suddenly the Osage were just dripping with money, and they would send their kids to Swiss schools, and they would build mansions and had all these chauffeured automobiles, and they, they really had more money than they knew what to do with. And then one by one, they began to be killed off in very mysterious circumstances again, this is the 1920s, because they were on a reservation, there was no jurisdiction for the local police and the sheriff. Um, so the FBI ended up getting involved. And it was one of the first murder cases that the FBI actually took on. And they sent a former Texas Ranger named Tom White up to try to figure out what was going on. And so this looks at so many different facets of this case. In a way, it's a murder investigation. In a way, it's it's kind of an anthropological look at, you know, what happened to these people and and how they lived and how they came to be in these circumstances. It is, again, one of those nonfiction books that could read like a novel if you didn't know it was true. I love the history, too. Just a piece of history that I had no idea about that really opened my eyes and made me look at things very differently.
1: That's an excellent recommendation. And if he wants more nonfiction, if he hasn't read it yet because this book has been phenomenally popular. I would recommend The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown. This is one of those nonfiction narratives that reads like a novel, although apparently that's not a huge selling point. (laughs) for this reader. The subtitle is Nine Americans and Their Epic Quest for Gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. The boat belongs to the UW crew team. That's the University of Washington. And this was back in the 30s when uh, Hitler's popularity was on the rise. He was taking power. And Brown is able to combine the cultural climate of the time with this very interesting mix of college students at the university of Washington who all have very different backgrounds and reasons for being on the team. They are the underdog. First of all, the crew team is American going to Germany and the Americans aren't favored, but to get there first, they have to beat out the East coast traditional crew powerhouses. So if you love an underdog story and if you love your history This is a good book for you. Also, Doris Kearns Goodwin anything, but to maximize the odds that he hasn't read her yet, because she is such an obvious choice for a reader who loves Larson, Philbrick, Chernow, etc. She has a new one that came out in September. It's called Leadership in Turbulent Times, and she has written extensively about the American presidents. So in this book, she's writing about the four presidents she's written about the most often, and that is Lincoln to Roosevelt's Teddy and Franklin and Lyndon B. Johnson, particularly during the civil rights era. She's talking about their leadership qualities, the ones within themselves, and how they cultivated leadership in others. She's a great fit for anyone who loves this kind of nonfiction. All right, next we have a request from Adrian. Here it is.
3: Hi, Anne. My name is Adrian Coller. I am from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I am looking for a great book for my son, Brody. He is 10 years old. Brody loves when I read to him. He's more of a reluctant reader on his own. He likes when I read to him. So right now I've been reading to him the Harry Potter series, which he absolutely loves. We're on book six right now. Some other books series I've read to him, Carl Hyasson's books, we've read Flush, Scat, Hoot, and he has loved all of those books. A book series he enjoyed on his own was the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. So I am looking for something um, along the same lines that he is going to enjoy reading on his own.
0: So my kids are a little bit older, so this might be a recommendation that he's already read, but it's, a, it was a favorite in my house and it was a favorite to read together. So I think because she's reading to him, um, you want something that grown ups will enjoy too. Um, and my favorite was the Percy Jackson series by Rick Riordan. Brings in the world of Greek mythology and gods and goddesses and adventure and... My kids sort of took that and spun off and started wanting to learn Greek and read about mythology, and it just kind of opened up so many worlds for them as well. Um, but I just really had a lot of fun reading these books with my kids, and so that's why I decided to uh, focus on that one. But I know it is so popular that it's quite possible that he's already read those. But if he
1: hadn't, that's hundreds and hundreds of pages they can enjoy together. For good read-alouds, we just put an audiobook post on my blog, Modern Mrs. Darcy. It's called something like 13 Adventure-Filled Audiobooks that the whole family can enjoy together or for your next family road trip. It's something like that. I'm going to focus on books that this reluctant reader may enjoy reading on his own. The first is by Mac Barnett, who has written all kinds of wonderful books for children and middle grade. So this is a new one. He had come out in... September. It's a graphic novel. It's called Mac B Kid Spy. And my kids loved it, especially for the ridiculous premise, which was before the author, Mark Barnett, became an author. He was a kid. And when he was a kid, he was a spy. But he wasn't your run-of-the-mill spy. He was a spy for the Queen of England. It's less dense in words. So if you have a reluctant reader, you can enjoy a story without your brain having to consume as many Words, but even if you're a confident reader, this is just a really fun reading experience. When this book was being read in my house, it looked like a kid with a book on the couch. Giggling is just ridiculous. And there's a second book in the series that comes out right after Christmas. It is called The Impossible Crime. So, those are a lot of fun. And my kids' reaction was to want to then read everything Mac Barnett had ever written. If that is your kids' reaction, the Terrible 2 series is a great place to go next. There's also a great series called Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales. The great thing about series for reluctant readers is if they like one book, there's automatically something else they can pick up next and they can really keep that momentum going. Okay. This one is from Franziska from Germany. She writes, I'm writing from Germany. What should I read next was recommended to me by one of my best friends, Sabine. She is also German. She never misses any episode and is one of the most passionate readers I know. That is why it is so difficult to find a book gift for her. Sabine and I share a deep interest in English books. And though we are not native speakers, we love to read the original and not the German translation if possible. Sabine loves The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin, Anna Green Gables by Ellen Montgomery, and the Rivers of London series by Ben Aronovich. I know she's been reading The Hate You Give recently, but I am not up to date. And I can't ask her because then she would probably know that I'm asking you because of the podcast. Sabine's favorite genres are YA lit, cookbooks, because she's a food scientist, and guidebooks. What do you think?
0: So what got me here was the fact that Sabine loves cookbooks she's a food scientist and guidebooks and so I put those together and I came up with a recommendation of my Italian bulldozer by Alexander McCall Smith this is a fun just really different really enjoyable sweet adventure story of a man who's a food writer he goes to Tuscany because his girlfriend has left him he goes to rent a car mishap after mishap happens and by the time he's available to rent his car, there are no more cars. But instead, the only vehicle in town is a bulldozer. And he has to rent this bulldozer to take on his journey in this lovely hillside town with food and wine. And he's just flooded with all of these, you know, Italian moments and he's driving this bulldozer. But it's a really wonderful story. I had so many booksellers who read this and raved about it. They'd never read Alexander McCall Smith before, or they'd only read his number one ladies detective agency series. And this is a real favorite. And it's one of those books that I think will appeal to almost anybody, but the food and, and the tourism angle really is what made me think about recommending this as a gift for Sabine. That was a fun book. And also, it's just so pretty. I remember the pale
1: yellow and the quaint little (laughs) drawing of the bulldozer on the cover. I was wondering about My Berlin Kitchen by Louisa Weiss, which is a food memoir set in Berlin, written by an author who came from the United States, ended up moving overseas. Uh, She has roots in both places because of her mother's and father's history. But if that feels a little too familiar and doesn't have that vicarious experience that she's looking for... I'd like to give her a suggestion in a different direction, and that is Jasper Ford's Thursday Next series. It begins with the air affair. The series is a lot of fun for book lovers. The series is really genre bending. Uh, you have fantasy and science fiction. There's also mysteries. They read almost like police procedurals, but they have a cozy feeling to them. Like you feel you're at home among friends, maybe because so many of the characters in the books come from the books you love. But this novel is set in alternative Britain where the characters in books are really important and people care deeply about their literature. It's really zany But for the right reader, it's zany in a really fun way. So what happens in the airfare, basically, is Mr. Rochester doesn't stay in his story like he's supposed to, and Detective Thursday Next, who we see throughout the series of its seven or eight books that Ford wrote after the airfare, Thursday Next has to go hunt him down, because this is a very serious profession in this alternative Britain. And it's a lot of fun for book lovers, especially
0: lovers who enjoyed a series like The Rivers of London. I had that on my list also. So I I had several recommendations for Sabine and that was one of them. So I'm glad that we did actually come up with the same for one. I knew it was going to happen at some point.
1: (laughs) Well, good. I hope that's a extra encouragement. Okay. I've really been looking forward to this one. Lauren writes, I am looking for a gift for my boyfriend. He likes Tom Clancy, Tom Clancy, and Tom Clancy. He dislikes the Tom Clancy novels with slower pacing. Currently reading, while he waits for the new Tom Clancy in November, I've also seen a copy of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance in his possession. You can see the theme we're working with here. He says what he likes is plot-driven, action-packed stories with a trustworthy lead. He especially likes being dropped into the action. His favorite Jack Ryan series novels are the ones with pacing that starts strong, brings the tension up and down a few times, and then builds to a satisfying end. And what do you say to Tom Clancy, Tom Clancy, Tom Clancy? I say, Lee Child, Lee Child, Lee
0: Child. <laughs> Which one should she start with? Uh, So the new book that just came out by Lee Child, Past Tense, is, I think, his best book in years. I absolutely adore this. I have read most of Lee Child's books, not all of them, and you don't have to read them all in order. Some actually have a closer connection to previous books than others. In this particular book, Past Tense, you don't really need to have much background. Um, Jack Reacher as a character is a phenomenal character with a very intensive backstory. But all you really need to know, and you learn it in the first couple pages, is that he used to be in the military. He travels around the country with very few possessions. I hope he carries his toothbrush around with him, but he's the kind of guy, he buys a new set of clothes in each book with every city because he doesn't keep anything around. And that's about all you need to know. In this book, he goes into his past and it's set in New Hampshire and he's investigating. Well, he's he's actually kind of trying to track down some family history and he gets involved in an investigation and his life is in danger. It stands on its own, but it also gives you a good glimpse of him so that if you do like him, you can go back and he, I don't know how many books Lee Child has written about Jack Reacher. I think it's 20, maybe 25. And that opens up the entire series. But this is a great place to start. You don't feel like you're missing anything. Just a really good thriller anyway. And if you've seen the movie, just ignore it.
1: (laughs) Okay, I'm thinking of I Am Pilgrim by Terry Hayes. It's a standalone, or at least as of this moment in time. There have been hints of a sequel, but that hasn't happened yet. And I don't want to give too much away with this one, but it's a thriller, The opening is pretty gruesome. Someone is attempting to pull off the perfect crime in the wake of 9-11 when it was possible to disappear off the face of the earth. So in the very beginning of the book, someone took that opportunity when all was chaos and lots of people were missing and decided it was time for them to disappear or perhaps make someone else disappear. I think I already said I don't want to give anything away. Mm -hmm. Over the course of the story, we find out who that was, why they did it, what they're after and why it is imperative that they be stopped before before they unleash like worldwide terror everywhere and it all goes to pieces. Something I really like in this book for the Tom Clancy fan is there's an investigator in this book who has a really a level-headed scientific mind. He's vulnerable in a way that really gets the reader sympathy. It's really fun to watch him as the reader do his work. This is a big book, so it can keep you happy for a long time. All right. Next we have an email from listener Caitlin, who writes, I'd love to find the perfect holiday book gift for my husband, Carmen. He is a professional classical and jazz singer who also works part time in our local library and a big movie buff. He usually says his very favorite book is The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. He likes stories of first contact and is drawn to things about religion, though he is not religious himself, but was growing up. His favorite recent book is Meg Wolitzer's The Interestings. He likes stories that follow groups of people over many years and the difference between expectations and reality. And I'm not sure which specific book to single out, but his favorite author is probably Alice Munro. He adores all her
0: books. First of all, I want to be best friends with Carmen <laughs> because <laughs> The Sparrow is also my favorite book of all time. So for that reason, I have... Two recommendations that actually have really nothing more to do with anything Caitlin said. All she had to say was he loves the sparrow. And then these two recommendations popped into my mind. (laughs) So the first one would be There, There by Tommy Orange, which is an amazing, amazing novel set in Oakland, California. It's contemporary. It tells, it, we meet many different characters and they each kind of have their own story and we see how they, they're, they're all preparing for this powwow. And some are going for family reasons. Some are going for nefarious reasons. All of these people's stories come together at the powwow and it is just staggering. Certainly one of my favorite books of the year, if not my absolute favorite book of the year. And it has had all kinds of acclaim. I expect it to be on so many year-end best of lists. It is um, not a cheerful novel. And since Caitlin's husband, Carmen, was able to love The Sparrow, which is also not necessarily a cheerful novel, I think that um, this has many of the same kinds of emotional elements to it. The other book that I wanted to mention was Homegoing by Yaa Jesse, which is a look at a family from the early 1700s in Ghana. Two half sisters do not know each other. They're born in different villages. This book follows each of their descendants. Each chapter is a different descendant of either Effia or Essie. And it takes us right into the modern day. And it is stunning, also heartbreaking in parts with some difficult content, but ultimately so incredibly rewarding. Um, That was my favorite novel of I think 2016. Um, So those two are just, again, based on nothing else Carmen said, except that he loves the sparrow. But I feel like anyone who loves the sparrow will also love these. Based on his favorite author being Alice Munro, I'm
1: assuming that means he's read all her books. Toni Morrison had a really beautiful little gift kind of book come out last year. It's based on a talk she gave. It's called The Origin of Others, a slim little hardcover. It's an essay she gave on what is race and why it matters. And she talks about what it means to be others. And for someone who has run out of Alice Munro, Toni Morrison seems like an excellent place to go. The compactness this one makes it seem like the right kind of book to slip in a stocking. I love that he loves books that follow groups of people over many years and the difference between expectations and reality. For that, I'm thinking about Aja Gable's debut from 2018. It's called The Ensemble. Uh huh.
0: I had that on my list also. Oh,
1: did you really? Okay, <laughs> good. Well, we must both be on the right track then. This is about a Chosen family. There are four members of a string quartet who function as a dysfunctional family. They are bound together by their professions. They decided to, uh, like the TV show Lost, to live together, lest some of them die alone in the cutthroat world of classical music. Gable is a former cellist, and I just had no idea what it was like, but I trust her on this. I, these characters aren't likable, but they feel real. And over the years of their professional musicianship, they experience highs. They have devastating disappointments. They have personal and professional successes and losses. Their relationship is very turbulent at times. They're together for almost 18 years. So there's a nice scope and span here that I think this reader will enjoy. It's not always a happy story. So if you want characters you can root for and all that, keep moving. But it sounds right for this reader. Okay. And Aaron, who writes, I'd love to get my husband, Brett, a new book to put in his stocking. His interests are wide and varied, but he finds books that take too long to be daunting. Some titles he's enjoyed in the last few years are A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. He loves nature, appreciates good writing, and found this one so funny that he regularly shook our bed with laughter while reading it at night. Walkable City by Jeff Speck. I put this one in his hands after hearing about it on the podcast, and he kept talking about it months after reading it, which to me is the mark of a good read. And A Man Called Uva by Frederick Bachman isn't generally a huge fan of fiction, but he loved it for its endearing characters, excellent writing, and laugh-out-loud humor. A few other honorable mentions are The Making of a Chef by Michael Roman, Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, and his subscription to the National Geographic. Right now, he's reading Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat by Samin Nosrat. He's loving it, and so are my taste buds as he learns new skills to add to his home chef repertoire. Okay, first of all, I have to say, The fact that Walkable City made this list makes me really, really happy. (laughs) I've been surprised at uh, how many people have told me that they really enjoyed this book. Actually, a reader told me a funny story about checking it out from her library. I think she has the only circulation desk worker in existence who has a degree in urban planning. And he said, are you in school? And she said, no. And he said, why are you reading this book? And she said, because it's awesome. (laughs) And he said, what is wrong with you? Lots of readers think this is super fun. And Jeff Speck has a new book out. It's called Walkable City Rules. And I'm hoping to find it under my tree this year.
0: What do you think, Anne? Again, ticks a lot of these boxes. The White Darkness by David Graham. It's a new book. I don't know this one. Well, it just came out October 30th. I wish... I knew what to call this. Maybe, you know, or maybe we can coin a new phrase. What would be the word for a nonfiction novella? interesting. (laughs) It is not a full length book. It is nonfiction. Yeah. I'm tempted
1: to go snarky with it. Like, I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon was well-researched and large and it was supposed to be, but we've all read those nonfiction books that just feel like they were padded so that they could hit 200 pages. Right. I'm glad to hear this isn't one of them.
0: Um, It's 160 pages, but there's lots of color photos. (laughs) I'm just going to call it long form nonfiction, but this is the story of Henry Worsley, who was most of his life was obsessed with Ernest Shackleton, who was the polar explorer in the 19th century who tried to reach this, be the first person to reach the South Pole. And he later tried to cross Antarctica on foot. Shackleton never completed his journeys, but Henry Worsley was obsessed, partly because he was related to one of Shackleton's men. And so he kind of grew up knowing about these, these adventures. In 2008, Worsley set out across Antarctica With some of other descendants of Shackleton's crew. But in 2015, at the age of 55, he decided that he wanted to cross Antarctica alone on foot. And by crossing alone, he means no support. So a lot of times when people do these journeys, they'll have food and supplies kind of strategically placed along the way. Well, Worsley did not. Worsley basically had a big sled filled with 300 pounds of supplies that he strapped around his waist and put on cross-country skis and set off across Antarctica to complete this journey. David Graham gives us a very inside look of what Henry Worsley went through on this journey. It is an incredible story. Worsley kind of kept an audio diary and, and would radio back his experiences. And so Graham uses a lot of that as kind of contemporary material. You really feel like you're right there. It is a fast read, but it is a good thing it's fast because otherwise you'd be up for hours because I literally could not put this down until I finished. It's got a little bit of that into thin air and it has history of of people trying to follow in Shackleton's footsteps. And and let's not forget that Worsley's 55 years old. So that to me as not a young person added another really interesting element too. this is like my pick for holiday gift for people who not only like Aaron's husband, you know, like all these things. But I think this is one of those gifts that you could give to almost anybody. You know, if you have to bring a gift for Uncle Mike, and you don't really know what Uncle Mike likes to read, chances are there's something in here that he will love and he will want to read this book as well.
1: Interesting. I'm so glad to know that's out. I'm going to go in a totally different direction. Also, I have to say that I love that his subscription to National Geographic is on this list. (laughs) (laughs) So since he's currently reading Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, and that this is doing him good in the kitchen as well, and since he enjoyed the making of a chef, I'm going to go that foodie route. He's also got some behind-the-scenes stuff going on with Walkable City. I'm thinking about Life on the Line. It's by Grant Ackett's and his business partner, Nick Kakonis. So Grant was the sous chef at the French Laundry, Thomas Keller's restaurant in California. He opened his own restaurant 10-ish years ago. It's called Alinea in Chicago. He's won all the foodie awards at the foodie Oscars. And this is the story of how he got tongue cancer in the midst of his great success and what happened next. So the subtitle is A Chef's Story of Chasing Greatness, Facing Death, and Redefining the Way We Eat. Because Ackett's didn't just get cancer, it's tongue cancer. So he started the chemo because first what the doctors wanted to do was remove his tongue. And he's a chef. So they talk a lot about not just what that's like for a chef, but as a human, when you think you might lose the thing that you need to do the thing you love more than anything, what is that like? And what does that do to you? He starts this radical treatment program. He does this new kind of chemotherapy and he keeps his tongue. And now I feel like I should spoil it all by saying he's alive and well and working and opening new restaurants and he's doing great things in the food world. But for a long time while he was undergoing treatment, he couldn't taste. And the story of first of all, what it's like to get a six months to live diagnosis and then go through this with your business and be a chef who can't taste anything, the way that he and his business partner address that in the book is really, really interesting. So it's a story about not only facing mortality, but also about doing the work matters most to you and about the friends and family who see you through. It came out long enough ago that I feel like at this point, it would be kind of a sleeper pick and isn't necessarily one he would find himself. And that was fun. I wish we could have gotten to every listener recommendation, but thank you all so much for your enthusiasm and sending them in. And thank you,
0: Anne, for recommending all the books to all the listeners. Well, and thank you for letting me do this. And uh, it was very fun and, and, do you ever get follow-up? I hope you get follow-up notes about people saying, like, if they did actually give these as gifts, because I can't wait to hear if they actually panned out. Oh, I would love to hear.
1: <laughs> Please write in and tell us. Email our producer, Brenna, at Brenna, B-R-E-N-N-A, at com. Before we go, Anne, will it be obvious by the gifts you give this year that you are a book lover?
0: Always. <laughs> How can we tell? What do you like to give? Well, I tend to give books to people, whether they're readers or not. (laughs) The legend of like the grandmother that always gave the hand knitted sweater and all the grandkids would like roll their eyes. (laughs) I sometimes feel like that a little bit, but I really feel like people who are not readers just haven't found the right book yet. And so I keep trying to find the right book and maybe someday. People will pick one up that I've given them, you know, before they send it to Goodwill or whatever and suddenly turn into readers. I don't know, especially in my own family. My children always get books and my husband always gets books. And a lot of the books that I recommended today are probably going to be under some of my relatives' trees as well. When you're giving to friends, family,
1: hostess gifts, teachers, that kind of thing, do you find yourself
0: giving any of the same books over and over again? Well, this year, as I said, I think a lot of people are going to get White Darkness, especially people that I don't know very well. Yes, I, I do tend to give the same ones over and over again. Another one that I always love to give is The Rosie Project. The You know, th- there are some books who just, I feel, have a really wide audience. And so those will often make my list. But I try to make it a little more personal if I know something about the person. Do
1: you have any bookish accoutrements that you also enjoy giving to the readers in your life or those that you are working on helping them to become readers
0: by finding the right book people in your life? I am really excited. So my youngest daughter is 16, but since she was about 10, she's been obsessed with Les Miserables. She's read it a number of times and collects all the various editions. So I am really excited because there's a company out there called yeah, And they just came out with blankets and pillows that are literary, and they contain a good chunk of the text of the book. So I just ordered her, and she doesn't listen to podcasts, so I know she (laughs) won't hear this. I just ordered her the Les Mis blanket that contains, I think it's 20,000 words of the book. And it has, you know, the the iconic image. And so I'm hoping that that's a treasured gift for her. My oldest daughter is um, 19 and she's in college studying to become an elementary school teacher. They were told in their classes that they needed to start their picture book library. Now, she's a sophomore in college, like she won't have a classroom for at least three more years. And yet these kids are being told that, you know, schools just do not give money to teachers to build their classroom libraries anymore. And so I have been accumulating picture books. And my daughter, who is 19, is going to get a big box full of picture books for Christmas. But I think we'll have fun reading them together anyway. I love that. Yes, and that's a plug for if any of you um, are buying teacher gifts instead of a candle or an apple themed something. Buying books for their classroom is probably a gift that they would really, really enjoy and also really be able to share with their future classes.
1: That's such a great idea.
0: We have a couple little things that we'd love to give the
1: readers in our lives. Um, for younger readers. And some of the older readers, but you, you got to know them a little bit to know. We love the personal library kit made by Knock Knock. You can put your own library cards in the back of your books. You have a little due date stamp. You get to put your name in your book. And if you want to be super nerdy about it, you can keep your own little log about what you checked out and to who so you can have the record and think, oh, wasn't it fun when I lent the Rosie project to Susan? But also so you can hunt down your books if your friends don't return them promptly. And then to to readers of all ages, we love to give book darts. Have you seen these, Anne? Yes, I love book darts. They're classy little bookmarks. They come in this adorable little tin, great for stocking stuffers, but they're just super practical. And your friend will think of you every time they see the adorable little tin on their desk. You know, it's fun. And of course, I'm always a fan of a big box set, but that's a big gift. (laughs)
0: box sets are great especially for paperbacks the series that i'm also giving as a gift that just came out in a new box set is the crazy rich asians box set because i think it's like you know potato chips once you read crazy rich asians you have to read the other two books in the series and so yes someone on my list is getting that i haven't seen that yet but i'm going to keep an eye out
1: for it fun reads those are so many good ideas we will put each and every single one of them in show notes and thank you so much for talking books and gifts with me today
0: Thank you, Anne. I really appreciate you inviting me on and letting me ramble about some of my favorite books. (laughs)
1: I'll ramble with you anytime. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Anne today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for your fellow listeners and their shopping lists and let us know there what you thought of our recommendations today. Next week, I'm chatting with Tracy Thomas, a reader with self-professed dad taste in books. So if after today's episode, you still need more gift ideas for a nonfiction-obsessed relative, you're going to want to get your pencil ready before you tune in. Here's a sneak peek.
4: I know a lot of your listeners are much more, you know, character driven people. And I've discovered that also on Bookstagram as I started to meet more bookish people. I apparently don't read like a lot of people who love books. And I feel like I read like a lot of people's dads, maybe instead. <laughs> Like, I'm very excited to do a Christmas gift list for your dad and uncle, because I feel like I have all the books they're going to love.
1: <laughs> all right. I feel like right now, a lot of people are saying, finally, because I've had it with a beautiful writing, or maybe a lot of people's dads are thinking that right now, Tracy. <laughs> Either way, either way, I'm confident you're not alone.
4: I'm here for the dad. Yeah, I know I know. people read the books I read because they're bestsellers and things. I just don't know if the people that read what I read are the people that have Bookstagram accounts. You know what I'm
1: saying? And they're not the people that you know in your real life either.
4: Yeah, that's true. Well, my family reads a lot of nonfiction.
1: Your dad and your uncle? My brother. <laughs> if you're on Twitter, let me know there at Anne Vogel. That is Anne with an E. B is in books. O G E L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Anne Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, Ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.